Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. Today's message is titled, The Fear of Unity, and is the second part of the United Sermon Series. This message is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, check out our website at bccma.org or send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Hey, it's so good to see all of you today. And uh, I just so appreciate the fact that I get to have such an awesome audience every week to share the Word of God with and what I feel God's laid on my heart. And thanks for all the good feedback. Uh, some of you are telling me that it helps you, so thank you. Uh, we're going to continue to talk about unity. The series is called United. And um, I think we're all aware of what wonderful things can happen when people get united, when people get in agreement about something and they see that thing happen. If unity, though, is so, has so much power and so much p- potential, though, why aren't we falling over ourselves trying to be united? Um, it, 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 it's fairly easy to get people excited about unity, and, but it doesn't seem as at all easy for us to act on it and be united and be together. We put the idea of love and unity and our poetry, our music, our rhetoric, and uh, we sing songs about it. And years ago, there was "We Are the World, We Are the Children." I think some people thought we we're about to enter into utopia after that song. <laughs> Doesn't quite work out, did it? <laughs> but we all put unity in our speech and our way of thinking, but. We often walk away from it when it's available. When we get closer, it's kind of like you, if you, if you, there's tons of articles and books on the fear of intimacy. And we know that many of us have a fear of intimacy. And we back away from relationships, get too close, too intimate, then we back away. Uh, you could be in greater unity all over the place if you wanted to. You could be in greater unity with yourself and your most deeply held values But how many of you would admit today that you back away from being totally united with your own values? I mean, eating healthy sounds good until you get hungry for some Oreo cookies. You know, like I did this week. I did that, and I've been avoiding that kind of stuff for a long time, and I shouldn't have been left home alone. (laughs) I was home alone, and there's... Sherry should not allow this. But there's the thing of Oreo cookies, and I went and ate three of them. Not good for it, not good. There's nothing in an Oreo cookie that your body needs. But there's sure things it wants, right? You could be a lot more unity with your spouse than you currently are. But you have your reasons to keep a safe emotional distance between you and your spouse, right? You could be a lot more in unity with your siblings, your brothers and sisters, but they haven't earned it, and you're waiting. (laughs) You could be a lot more aligned with the purpose of the church, but it's kind of hard, I don't know, to get around to it. You got to be at stuff you don't want to be at, and you got to give to stuff you don't want to give to, and 
come under this and come under that. And now, there's selfish and sinful and practical reasons why we choose less unity than we could have. But I thought of this as I thought a lot about this message and been thinking about it for a few weeks. Could it be that our, our deepest level, we know that unity can be dangerous? That unity could be scary. Genesis 11.5, we have the scene of God making an appearance on earth. And we know that that meant something really important was going on, that God made an appearance on earth. And what God looked down is he saw some people in a place called the Plains of Shinar building a tower. And the Bible says that they, they built this tower that would reach up to the heavens. Now, it doesn't mean they were going to try to actually build a tower that would, they could get into heaven with. That wasn't what it meant. It was a, and I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right, because I, I've not heard it talked about much, but I've read it a lot, ziggurat or ziggurat. These, these, this is what they were building, which was, a, which was a religious symbol. And they're all over the Middle East. There are several of them around the Middle East, and, and I believe some in, maybe in Central and South America even. And these were, these were places of worship. So humanity was getting unified around around this human-centered place of worship. And this this would have been the way they could have kept people from scattering and kept people unified. And they were trying to create a power structure. And the Bible says this, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that men were building, and the Lord says, as if one people speaking the same language, they begin to do this, and listen to this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. God was acknowledging what you know at the deepest level of your being, that unity can be dangerous, that intimacy can be dangerous. You can lose your autonomy. You can go the wrong direction. Because of unity. Now we all know that unity, what we know the beautiful side of unity, don't we? We know that unity and the results of unity can look like this. This. <laughs> this. And this. And this. And this. But I'll stop there for a second so you don't know what this is. But Pastor Jason and two other youth pastors got together in unity. And Liberty Church over Shrewsbury, don't let their building be used for it. That's Tim Cruz, the youth pastor of that church. They got together and some of you were there. About 600 kids came together for a phenomenal event. Division would not let that happen. That required unity. That required people. That required this hierarchical structure of Jason and Pastor Tim and uh, Pastor up in, in Linfield coming together and creating this, and, and, and it was just phenomenal. So that's what the results of unity look like. One more. Give me one more. I want to bring it down to this is what unity looks like. Interracial family. 
beautiful, happy family. That is the epitome of unity and intimacy and what it can accomplish and what it can bring about. There's the, 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 anything, anything important and anything great is brought about by unity, by people becoming united around a purpose and a cause. However, just as unity can be great, unity and its results can also look like this. Remember that? How many of you remember People's Temple, San Francisco, and they went to Jonestown, Guyana, and that's a picture of the debris that was left after Jim Jones took his people to Jonestown, Guyana, and he led them in a mass suicide. So, so unity can look like that and that. We're going to the next picture. That's I don't remember the number. I think it was like 195 people or something like that that all drank poison Kool-Aid at this man's command. They had come under his spell to the point that they would totally lose their will. They became so united, so caught up in an intimacy with him and, and the others that they would drink Kool-Aid. That's where the phrase, some of you younger folks probably didn't even know, that's where the phrase, drink the Kool-Aid, comes from. It comes from this horrible event uh, that happened about 20, 25 years ago. And he led the people, and one of our congressmen was killed going down there to investigate. And this is what happens. Our unity can even look like this. This man united a country, and the result of that uni unity was at least six million dead. That's what can happen when we get united. So you are wise. You are wise to be afraid of unity. You're wise to be worried about going to a church and getting caught up in some pathological way of being that you lose your mind. Because you are created to be, a, you know, the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. All we like sheep have gone Think about that for a minute. Think about that meaning of that passage, all we like sheep. It didn't say some people, all we like sheep. We all be like sheep. <laughs> and you know that at the core of your being, you know you don't have enough time and you don't have enough resources to get all the knowledge that you need to do everything that you do and be everything you do. You are absolutely without, there's no question, you have, to you have to join a situation that you trust and that you don't have to think about every single decision that you make. That's the way life is and you can't change it. We are created to be tribal. I know you say we don't like it, we're trying to change it today, we're trying to do something about it, but what, what's happening is we're having tribes formed around the people who say we shouldn't have tribes. Because <laughs> you're wired a certain way. God created you a certain way. God created you to lead and he created you to follow at the same time. Pretty, it's a pretty weird thing. <laughs> but wait a minute. Jim Jones... Adolf Hitler, you probably, you probably heard of the Stanford Prison Experiment. You ever hear that? Stanford Prison Experiment, 1971. 
a psychologist, took a bunch of prisoners, I mean, took a bunch of students, <laughs> and, he, and he, uh, he divided it up between guards and prisoners, and he created a mock prison, and he, he put them in there with a few basic rules, and just to see psychologically what would happen when people were in charge of other people. By the sixth day, they were being so cruel. The guards were being so cruel and so abusive, they had to stop the experiment. Because groupthink had taken over the guards, and they were all severely, severely abusing the others. The days before, had just been fellow students, and now, now they were prisoners. Yes, unity can be scary. But what do, you know, let, yes, all those things prove that unity can be dangerous, but they also prove that unity can be incredibly wonderful. We don't can electricity because there are electrical fires. We, we don't stop nuclear medicine because there are nuclear missiles, right? We don't, we don't disavow and, and want to do away with all political governance because there are total, totalitarian regimes. We don't want to cancel marriage because there's divorce. Unity is powerful. We don't need to, to walk away from it. We need, to, we need to find out from God. We need to go back to the scripture and find out the boundaries that he put around unity and how to make it work for us and not against us. What if we create a unity that God can bless? What if we create a unity that you can bless? What if we create a unity that is blessed? And maybe next Sunday or the next Sunday after, we're going to get into Psalms 133 because you can't preach a sermon series on United without Psalms 133, which says, uh, which talks about it is, it is precious, it says, for, for brothers to dwell together in unity. And it gives this beautiful scenario of oil going down the beard of Aaron to the hems of his robes. And the last verse, though, says, There the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forever. Oh, I'd like for God to look at Bethany Community Church. I'd like for God to look at this room and say, I have to command a blessing there because of the way they love each other and the way they're united and the way they're in agreement and the way they have created uh, an ethic uh, around the person of Jesus Christ I can trust them. I can trust them with my blessing. What if we committed to a unity that is characterized by humility, respectfulness, patience, and affection? What if we did that? What if, this series is very intentional. We, we placed it in September for a reason because this is when People kind of come back to church, and it's kind of the beginning of the church year. We placed it here on purpose. We placed it. This is our vision series for the year. This is our vision series. So I want us to think vision this morning, but not at the level of building buildings. And we may talk about that because we're going we're gonna to do some building. We're going to do some things together. But I don't want to even talk about that Do we talk about this. I don't want to talk about what we're going to do. I don't want to talk about goals before we talk about what kind of vision do we have of ourselves? What kind of people do we want to be? 
Because if, if we don't figure out what kind of people we're going to be, we might end up in some place we don't want to be. We might end up doing something we don't want to do. We might end up in, 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 in a belief system that's not even consistent with the Scripture. Many, many people got involved with churches and, and, and organizations, and they thought it was going to be this, and it wasn't that. The people that helped Hitler get into power, I was reading this week of some of the things they said, and they said, well, we knew he had some extreme ideas, but we thought, we, we thought he was just rhetoric, and he wouldn't really do all those things. But he did everything he said he would do, and more, in a negative way. But what if we committed to unity that's characterized by humility, respectfulness, patience, and affection? Ephesians 4, verse 1, and you can go there and kind of, if you want to open your device and read, or if you're not on the, the app, uh, you can go there, because we're going to stay in Ephesians 4 for the next few minutes. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The, the New International Version uh, uses four different words. Actually, the King James does too. But the four words the New International uses are humble, gentle, patient, and love. They have separate meanings, but they kind of meld into one value system. And it's a value system about the value of people. And the value of the person that's sitting next to you. And the value of the person that's sitting in front of you. And the value of the person that's sitting behind you. And the value of the person who's not even here, but they, they may walk in the door next Sunday. Let's look at those words. Humility literally means a lowliness of mind. Which means at the core of our beings, we do not think we are better than anyone else. That's what it means. Lowliness means that none of us in this room think that we're better than anyone else. I don't think I'm better than you because I'm on this platform and because I have a title. I'm not better than you. We do not think we're better than one another. The word gentle, it's translated meek in the King James. It's, boy, what a great word it means. It means power and strength under control. It comes from the Greek word prowess, which was used to define a horse being trained for battle. Prowess. It means a horse being trained for battle. And uh, they had those Spanish uh, horses in Vienna. I can't pronounce the word, but I won't try to pronounce it. It starts with an L. That these are the kinds of horses they would use. They're so, such beautiful, majestic, strong animals. And they, they would, they, 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 the rider who would ride that horse would break that horse. And, and, and they would actually use the term meeked. The horse was meeked, M-E-E-K-E-D, meeked. I mean, they didn't spell it that way because they were, they were talking Greek, okay? So <laughs> they, used another, they used this word, the word I just said. And they said the horse would, in other words, the horse, this strong horse that could crush you, this horse that could step on you and crush you, that rider who was much weaker than the horse could sit on the horse and, and at, the, at a nudge cause the horse to move. And that, that horse was so disciplined that that horse would ride into cannon fire without flinching. As long as the rider was urging him to go, he would not stop because his strength was submitted to the rider. 
His strength was submitted to the writer. And there's two kinds of submission required in the body of Christ. We're to be submitted to Christ, the head Jesus Christ. That when he prompts us to go, we go. We do not go. We are not strong-willed. We are not full of our own self-will. And the Bible also says we're to submit to one another. We're to submit to one another. So we're strong enough to hurt you. And we have the power to hurt you. But we won't hurt you. Because we're controlled by Christ. That's the word. And that's what makes a place great. And that's what makes a place safe. That's what makes unity safe. When the people in the room. it's You know if you have a bunch of weak people. It's unfortunate that meek rhymes with weak. Weak people are dangerous. Weak people are dangerous. You got a bunch of weak people. They won't hurt you, and that's because they're afraid to hurt you. That's why they won't hurt you. They don't have the guts to hurt you. Because sometimes you need to rise up and hurt something. Sometimes you need to rise up and stand against something. Sometimes, sometimes that strength needs to be, you need to protect that which God has put you in charge of. And sometimes it requires, you might have, you know, I heard someone say the other day, talking about certain business that they had to deal with. They said, when you deal with that business, you have to become a jerk or you won't get anything. And you all know situations like that where if you're not a jerk, you will not get anywhere with those people. And so you need to have the ability to be a jerk. I'm just too nice. I'm just too sweet. I just can never be that. Well, you're weak. You're not strong. You're not you're not humble, you're afraid. And it's not the same. God gives us courage that we're not afraid to be tough, but it's under control. And we are gentle, and we are kind, and we're able to comfort those who are hurting. And we would never, we would never, we would never intentionally hurt one another for just just gratuitous or for selfish reasons. Never. That's what the church should be like. Another word that, uh, that comes up here is the word patience. Patience means forbearance and fortitude. It means when people fail, you forgive them. When people struggle, you hold them up. When people lag behind, you wait on them. And finally, there's love. Love means to have real deep affection for one another. Real deep affection. What, what about that? Can, can we handle that today? Can we handle the call by God to cultivate real affection for one another? When you, fellowship, when you step into the fellowship of the church, the minimum gift that the church should offer you is that they will have affection for you. And they will have deep affection for you. Some, sometimes we preach grace but live law. I noticed that. We preach grace, 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 but then we act like we're in law. I had a conversation with a, a a church member this week, a good church member, a church member that cares about this church and I care about them. But they admitted to me regarding their effectiveness in ministry and they came to me and I really admired them for it. I asked them, I asked them later, I said, can I share this in my sermon? I, I won't Reveal who you are at all. I would never do that. But I think the church needs to hear this. And I'm not setting you up for this huge dramatic illustration. So, so don't get too, you know, don't get your hopes up too high. It's not scandalous or anything. 
But this person shared with me, and they were asking for prayer. They were asking for prayer. They said, you know, I just don't care about people's problems. When people start sharing their problems with me, I get bored. I think, that's silly. Why are you having such silly problems? And he said, they said to me, it's a problem in my life. It's a problem with me trying to do what you're asking me to do. Because I just, it, it, I don't know if they said exactly these words, so I, I'm not qu- quoting, I'm not trying to be verbatim. They said, I, but basically, we're communicating, I just don't care. And boy, I appreciated that kind of honesty. And God can work with that kind of honesty. Is that where you are today? You just don't really care? Well, listen, Jesus cares. The Bible says we're to cast all our care upon him, for he cares for us. Jesus cares. He cares about those silly problems. He cares about that thing. If it's bothering you, it's bothering him. He went to the cross because he cared so much. He couldn't stay away from you because he cared so much. And he wants his followers to be like him. He wants his followers to be just like him and take time. And we had a wonderful conversation about not just caring about people's problems, but about caring about people's story. Care about their story. You know, I've had this observation. I, I probably preached hundreds of funerals. And I don't feel... I don't feel guilty that, that I don't know everybody intimately because I don't have, a, that's just not possible that everybody who comes into this church or many times I preach funerals, people who didn't come very much or, 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 or hardly at all, maybe not at all, and I didn't know them very well. But I always sit with a family and I've learned to, I've learned to really appreciate this time of sitting with a family and I get out a legal pad and I start asking questions about the person that we're about to do this service for. And you know what really has amazed me? You know what really has amazed me? And I, and, and I thought of this, uh, Brenda, after, we, we, after Jerry's funeral. That's kind of when this came to me, because you guys were not at the church for a number of years. You were here, and then you weren't here. And so I, I, didn't, I didn't really spend a lot of time with Jerry through the years. But, you know, I realized everybody, almost without exception, everybody... Has, at the end of the race, has led a very fascinating life. Their story is very interesting. They, everybody is kind of unique. They've done things that nobody else has done. They saw life differently than anybody else. It's like, it, it's like nobody's the same. And everybody has this unique uh, divine footprint that they leave on the earth. What's wrong with me if I don't care about them. If I don't listen to their stories, encourage, you know, some of you are so worried that you're not, not going to be interesting, you never develop the ability to be interested. Because you're so worried that you're gonna, you, you want to look witty, and you want to look this, and you want to look that, and informed, and you want to let everybody know that you know what's right, and you, everything you know. People are just not, people aren't dying to hear what you know. You know that? They're dying to tell you what they know. They're dying to tell you about their life. Even the, even the, even the introverts, especially the introverts. Especially, who, did an introvert say amen? <laughs> that was hard, wasn't it? <laughs> 
God bless you for coming out of your shell and saying amen. Bob Goff says, and he's the, if you don't know about how to love people, go read all of Bob Goff's stuff and watch all his videos, and you will understand how to love people. Because Bob, Bob Goff is the apostle of love. <laughs> he wrote a book called Love Does, all kinds of stuff. He said, when I don't have time, when I say I don't have time, what I really lack is compassion. People own watches. Love owns time. So what if, we tried, what if we tried to be a church like that? You think God might want to bless us? You think my God might say, I'm interested in them. What if we committed to a unity that's based on the reality and the nature of God himself? Now that sounds like a deep point, because it is a deep point. But this is really deep. This thing of unity and loving as God loved is a deep, deep subject. Ephesians 4.4 said, There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. That sounds pretty complex, isn't it? <laughs> now, Paul is teaching us. What's he teaching us here, okay? He's teaching us that our unity is grounded in the oneness and unity of God himself. The term we occurs in the short book of Ephesians. 15 times. It, the, the, the term our occurs nine times. The word together occurs six times and it occurs, it occurs, it occurs four times in chapter two. The phrase, the phrase one another occurs four times. Paul is telling us where he got the idea of being united he got it from how united the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are. That's how he got the idea of, you, of being united. Paul is also teaching us that our faith is grounded, and this is so incredible to me. And, and I know it's something you've got to go think about, because I know it won't be incredible to you when you first hear it, but, but I've been marinating in this for, for a week. You know? Paul is, is teaching us that our faith is grounded in the reality of the universe. And the universe is all about oneness, unity. See, we've let the Eastern religions have all of the talk about unity and oneness. And, 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 and it started with us. It started with the scripture. You can't have the South Pole without the North Pole. You can't have up without down. You, you can't have wrong without right. A right without wrong. You can't have life without death. Everything is all together. You know what I mean? You know, if you drop a concrete block on your foot, somebody's going to ask you in a voice about one octave higher than they were talking to you right before you said did that. They're going to say, are you all right? And you're not going to say, I'm fine. My foot is killing me, but I'm fine. You're going to go, I'm in pain. Oh, but it's just your foot. I guess you're united, aren't you? You're one. The Eastern religions like Taoism understand oneness better than many Christians. The problem is they think it comes from a mysterious force deep within the consciousness of the universe. But we know that this whole idea that everything is one comes from a personal God who sent his son to die on a cross for our sins, who sent the Holy Spirit, not an incomprehensible force, to live in our hearts. And the scripture 
is the accurate revelation of that loving and wise God. Our, we pray, our Father, which art in heaven. Jesus is my personal Savior. Furthermore, the Scriptures are not only the description of the one true God, they are the correspondence from the one true God. He, Paul is saying there's one God. Oh, oh, that's just for Christians. That's a Christian religion. No, that's the world. That's the reality. Oh, that's just those assemblies of God people. Yeah, they just have, they believe in one God. No, there is only one God. There is none other. All the others are little G's. We got the big G. <laughs> Paul says, our unity is grounded in reality. Do you understand that? Our, what we have is not, is not grounded in fantasy. It's grounded in reality. And nothing, no modern science, nothing has disproven this, but they keep proving it over and over again. You know, about this matter of Scripture and the unity of Scripture with God, uh, there are voices right now telling us to stop saying the Bible says. But the more I study this, the more excited I get about saying the Bible says. Some, you know, some are suggesting we, we substitute the word, what does the Bible say? We, we substitute with the question, is it wise? But sometimes I need the Bible to tell me what is wise. I need the scripture to tell me what is wise. We are grounded in a oneness that God, the scripture, Holy Spirit, Jesus, the universe, God are one. And when we begin to flow in that unity, it's called harmony. And we start making music with God. The presence of God fills the house of God. When we, when we, begin, to, when we begin to resonate with the truth of God, and you can't stop it. Uh, what are we supposed to be doing down at the church? We're supposed to be demonstrating the oneness with God and the oneness with one another, what it looks like. The problem with secular unity is that it starts with man and works up to God. Christian unity starts with God and works down to man. He is Lord is not a nice religious idea. It's a reality. We have one task, and that is together find out what pleases the Lord or find out what God is blessing and get united around it. Amen? God interrupted the construction of the Tower of Babel because humans were going to make themselves the focus of worship. And once they did that, God knew that society would be forever lost because they would kill each other. They would destroy each other if man became God. To be united, you cannot start with humans. You must start with God. Like Jesus, uh, Jesus illustrated humanity like this. See, and, and those, you know, you know how children always play games about what they've seen. So children in Jesus' day must have played wedding and funeral a lot. Because they didn't see as much as kids today. I guess wedding and funeral, those were the two big events in the community that everybody saw was weddings and funerals. So kids played weddings and funerals. So Jesus said, let me tell you what your generation is like. 
you're like a bunch of people, that if you play wedding, you're like a bunch of children, that if you go and say, let's play wedding, and you start playing happy music, all the other kids go, no, that's terrible, let's play funeral. We want to play a sad song. Or if, if you go play funeral, let's, let's have a sad song today, and let's pretend that Joe, Joey here died, and we're going to bury him, okay? And let's play funeral. That all the other kids are going to go, no, no, we don't want to play funeral. That's too sad. Let's play wedding. Jesus said that's what humanity is like. So if you try to please people and try to get united around the opinions of mankind, you're going to be as confused as a termite in a yo-yo. That's pretty confused. You want to join something that, you want to join something that God can bless, a unity that God can bless? Join something where the top of, that, of the hierarchy of that organization is God. And they yield to the presence of God. For one thing, you know what you can do? When, 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 God, is the, when God and Scripture are your authority, the head honcho, which that could be me, right? If you want to call me that. Head honcho, Pastor Phil. For this illustration, I'll pretend that I'm that. <laughs> and I get out of line, and I'm not scriptural. You can bring me under your authority. Not under your authority, but the authority of Scripture. You hold up that Bible, and you say, Pastor Phil, you are not doing what the Word says. You are, you are, you, and you got me. In fact, I'll, you can even have a phone number. There's a phone number you can call. And you tell them, Pastor Phil is doing things that are unscriptural, and they will come and remove my credentials and kick me out. Because I am not in authority. The Scripture is. I am not the authority here. The Scripture is the authority here. God is the authority here. That's what makes unity safe. And I'm not talking about some, some uh, crazy, uh, insane, sociopathic ideas of what God is saying. And oh, God revealed to me. God showed me that, that, that you're to give us all your money. You know, I got a Greek word for that, baloney. No, God, God doesn't do that. God may tell you to give all your money. That's fine. If he does, please do it. <laughs> but that's not my job to tell you what God told you about all of your money. I'll preach the word. The word says I preach tithing. I preach generous giving because that's in the scripture. I, you know, in, 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 the, in, the, in the days of Jesus, if you went in the synagogue to speak, you could stand up to speak. But I, if I remember it right, I, and I may have it reversed, but I think I got it right. If you read Scripture, you sat down. You sat to read the Scripture, signifying that the Scripture was in higher authority than you. That's safe unity. I spent a little too much time on that, so let's move on to the next thought. What if we committed to a unity that celebrates individuality? Ephesians 4, 7. But to each one... Boy, this is, this is powerful. You need to circle that. To each one... Of us has given grace, or, or grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. See, God interrupted the construction of the Tower of Babel because humans were going to get in the way of other humans finding the Heavenly Father. The Bible doesn't say you got to go to Pastor Phil to get the grace of God. It says, read it again. To each one of us is grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. 
I'm not your mediator between earth and heaven. You are on your own, and that's a good thing. That's what, when religion goes bad, men get in between God and them. That's what happens. Um, Nicky Gumbel shares this in, in, in the Alpha Course, and it's just such a great story. It kept coming to me this week as I'm thinking about the sermon. Uh, Al Smith was the guy who started Federal Express. Well, Nicky Gumbel went to school with Al Smith's brother, Earl. And, you know, Earl was also very rich. You know, very, they are very wealthy. And because, I guess partly because of his wealth, he just had access to whatever he wanted. And he, by the time he's like in his, in his 20s, he had taken so many drugs that his mind was just scrambled. And he ended up in a, a, a mental institute. And uh, while he's there, uh, someone brought him a Bible. And he, he saw this Bible, he thought, great, those, the, 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 the paper is thin, it's just perfect for rolling joints. <laughs> and so Earl, Earl smoked his way through Matthew, <laughs> through Mark, and through Luke. And then he stopped after Luke, and he read John, and he got saved. He gave his life to Christ. <laughs> Isn't that a great story? That's just a great story. And his therapist, his therapist came in and saw that he was in his right mind. And she said, what happened to you? I haven't been able to help you. What happened to you? And, uh, and he told her, I read the book of John and I decided to accept Jesus. And she goes, well, you know, I, I'm, um, I don't have the kind of peace you have. I have no idea. I, I have everything going for me and I don't have the peace that you have, and uh, he led her to Christ, and he married her. So, <laughs> I wish all stories worked out that well. You know, you know what makes unity so powerful here, or c- could be potentially, is you don't have to be here. And I ain't coming after you if you leave. I mean, I'll come after you in a nice way, but I may call you up and say, hey, I really miss you, but nobody's going to hurt you or smear your name or put bad things about you on Facebook. If they do, I'm going to, I'm going to, the bad, the monster Pastor Phil is going to come out. If anybody in the church says bad things about you on social media because you left and went to some other church. Now, what makes unity powerful is you don't have to do it. You have a choice. God's grace has been given to you. Let me conclude. You want me to finish, Jay? <laughs> he came up on cue. I'm just kidding. He, he hit the cue perfectly. I'm obedient. So let, let's kind of recap here today. The fear of being united, what is it? It's, you fear two things, I believe. I believe this captures, maybe you have other things. You fear being isolated and being manipulated. Those are the fears. But let me answer those fears. Those are good questions, but here are good answers to those questions. First of all, first of all, God has formed you for fellowship. So you will join something. You will join a group somewhere. You will identify with a group because you are 
you have been created to be a joiner. You've created for connection. You are formed for fellowship, in the words of Rick Warren. That's one answer. The second answer is the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ liberates the individual to know Jesus personally and God personally, that you have a personal relationship with God. And nothing, nothing, the will of your church does not interfere with your personal relationship with God. Let me read this scripture in closing, because this scripture just, I love this verse of scripture, and it's not talked about enough. Paul goes to this place called Thessalonica, and I believe it was a second missionary journey. He goes to this place called Thessalonica, and he preaches and teaches. And here's what it says. Listen carefully. In Thessalonica, the Jews received Paul's message with enthusiasm and met with him daily, examining the scriptures to see if they supported what he said. Did you see that? They examined the scriptures to see if they supported what he said. It wasn't, oh, Paul, whatever you say, Paul. Whatever you say is true. Just whatever you say. You're, 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 you're smarter than us. You, you hear from God. We don't. No. No, no, no. They, they said, oh, we hear from God too. And we hear from God through the scripture. They examined the scriptures to see if, what, if, if they supported what he said. A lot of them became believers including many Greeks who were prominent in the community, women and men of influence. Notice what they did. They listened to Paul, then they read the scripture. They listened to Paul, and they read the scripture. They put their faith in Jesus, not Paul. As leaders, we get to lead Christ's followers. Not our followers, but Christ. And that's how we can be united without drinking the Kool-Aid or proclaiming Heil mein Führer. <laughs> Would you like to put your faith in Jesus today? That's my invitation. Would you like to put your faith in Jesus? Prayer partners are coming. And as they get in place, if you would like to put your faith in Jesus, you cannot be united without putting your faith in Jesus because it's not safe. It's not safe for you to get all totally immersed and united and, and intimate with the body of Christ if you don't come under Christ's authority because that's what will keep you safe. That's what will keep you on track. That's what will let you know. Is the leader preaching stuff that that's, that's, he shouldn't be preaching? Is he leading in directions that he shouldn't be leading? That will let you know. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I pray, God, that some people here today will cross that line of faith and become followers of Jesus. And I pray that some others who are followers of Jesus will let you call them to the church of Jesus Christ. I pray that some will let you call them to this church to be united and a part of it and a part of what God wants to do in this community. Because you have not called us to be united so we can exclude the world around us. You've called us to be united so we can go to the world around us and we can be a blessing. In Jesus' name, let's come. This is a communion time and response time at Bethany.